I see you marrying a corpse, living in a grave. The vampire can assume very many different forms at will. Sometimes it appears as a bat, and sometimes as a small cloud of swirling vapor. In this way, it can move unseen among its enemies. Son of Dracula, searing the screen with new terror in this weird tale of the living dead who rise from the grave at night to prey on unsuspecting victims. With Louise Albritton, Robert Page, Evelyn Ankers, Frank Craven, J. Edward Bromberg, and Lon Chaney as the new Count Dracula, you'll shudder at the screen's most fascinating woman vampire, luring men with cold beauty and the promise of immortality. Count Alucard is immortal. Through him, I attained immortality. Through me, you will do the same. Welcome back to the Bloody Pit. I am Rod Barnett. I'm and Troy Gwynn. Oh, he beat me to I it. Did, I, I did. Had a, I, had I just a, I had a we worked together long it. enough. I just sort of had a feeling you were going to point at me and Think and, so? and, and, and yeah, may I do? Yeah. Did you have other plans? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just had some smart ass way that I was just going to roll oh. off the top of my head just to see if anything came out that sounded, you know presentable in a certain way. I can assure you wouldn't have, so I right. saved you. I Probably saved not. You saved me from public embarrassment yet again. Yet again, yet again. Mr. Gwynn, <laughs> thank you. Just one of the many services I perform. <laughs> oh, that could be taken the wrong way. Anyhow, <laughs> yes, it could, yes. Ooh, maybe we should start again. No, we're not going to. <laughs> cut this bit, cut this bit. <laughs> cut it, cut it all. Tonight, we are back to talk about the 1940s Universal Horror Films the monster movies, most especially with tonight's creature feature. Tonight, Son of Dracula, released on November the 5th, 1943, and running a near epic yes. 80 minutes in length. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some, pla- some places say that it's 78 minutes and some say 80, yet when I look at the... The little ticking counter on the old Blu-ray, I have to admit that it seems to be 80 minutes long. So Yeah, I think, I think we'll go with that. We'll go with that. This is the third of Universal's Dracula films. And uh, one can hear off in the distance the, the benighted sounds of all those people that I grew up as I became a fan of these movies, listening to over and over again talking about how Damn, this movie sucks because Lon Chaney Jr. is in it. I know that's kind of what we heard the mantra growing up, you know. Is and and I heard that years before I saw it. And you probably did too because this was yeah. this was not one that I saw, that ever played when I was mm, little. No. So it took me a lot of years to to finally get around to seeing this. So well, I didn't we, see it until uh, VHS in the nineties. I yeah. think I think I saw it. Now it could have been VHS. I'm pretty sure that it showed on once we started getting the, in the seven, late 70s when we got the UHF channels, you know, because they did fill in most of the other Universal Monster films there, so I think I might have seen it on that, but I could be wrong. It could be uh, it could be VHS might have been the first time I saw it, but it definitely did not make the rounds when I was a kid, so like you, yeah. you know, we just sort of, we knew about the film and died to see it for years, but at the same time, that was kind of what, you know, the, the general, what went around was the, yeah. you know, the idea that, that Cheney Jr. is just badly cast as a vampire. Badly, he does not make a good Dracula. And I'm going to make points on both sides of that particular sure. argument. But yeah. I will say this, that for years, especially the first few years after I first saw this movie, 
you know, maybe 30 years ago. I don't remember mm-hmm. exactly when. It becomes a, it became pretty much standard belief and realization in my neck of the woods that to defend this movie was to essentially set yourself up for uh, fanboy slagging, the kind mm-hmm. of things mm-hmm. that happen yeah. day in and day out online these days. You would talk to your friends about people who shared your interest in these particular kinds of movies. And if you de- if you deigned to talk about the finer qualities of this movie, chances are mm. good that you were going to not just be looked askance at. Mm. You might be looked down upon. You might be sneered at. You might be smirked at. Mm-hmm. You might mm. even be condescended to. There would be the feeling that you had pulled your opinion from your nether regions. <laughs> And they were maybe right, maybe wrong. I don't know. That's where I come down on. Because the thing is, these days, I absolutely love this movie. And mm-hmm. I could, I've mm-hmm. been talking about how much I love it for mm-hmm. at least the past 15 plus years. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's easy to see that there has been a slow turnaround over the years mm-hmm. on the general consensus about yeah. this movie. It yeah. has altered over time. I agree. Because there was a lot of years there where I'd, I'd say that, and even maybe still you could say that it may be the least talked about of the 40s universal films. Even films yeah. that, that are in, or that I would consider not as good in inferior films or for one reason or other. Maybe because they played more in, uh, in people of our generation. Maybe because we saw them more as kids maybe. and grew up with them more. But you certainly heard about Frankenstein meets the Wolfman and House of Frankenstein and even the four mummy movies, you know, you really just seem like those all got more attention than this film got talked about more than this film. It really seemed to be almost kind of one of the forgotten of the forties, forties universal monster movies for a long time there. I think you may have put your finger on what I think may be one of the reasons for that. And that is that I think that it's, it's one of the lesser repeated over the time, over times. Mm -hmm. And I think that it has almost taken, um, Video releases, VHS, mm-hmm. DVD, Blu-ray now, for the film to reach the the general consensus where people are seeing it mm-hmm. in direct relation to the previous two films. Mm-hmm. And it allows us to do that thing that video is so magically capable of, which is we're not, you know, we're not waiting years and years mm-hmm. between these films. I mean, mm-hmm. Dracula came out in 31, Dracula's Daughter in 36, this mm-hmm. 1943, for yeah. God's sake. So yeah. there's this huge gap between these three films that there's a there's a love especially of that first film well let's 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 put it this way the money men at universal absolutely freaking love dracula and frankenstein from 31 oh god yeah and the the fact that those two were out of the double bill uh the year before this movie came out making money hands over fist mm-hmm. is one of the reasons why this film got greenlighted in the first place there was mm-hmm. so much money being made by Putting those two movies out in double feature as a double feature, that the idea of doing another sequel to Dracula just became something that they were they they're going to have to do. They were still yeah. making Frankenstein pictures at that point, and the idea that we're not going to do a Dracula film seems like might be a stupid idea. <laughs> so yeah, what should we be doing? Well, one thing that the studio definitely did not want to do is work with Bela Lugosi again. Right, there was still a bad taste in their mouth mm. from well. Several different things. Mm-hmm. And if they could get away with doing a Dracula movie without Bela Lugosi, so much the better. And in a way, they kind of lucked out because at the time that they were making this movie at Universal, Lugosi was over at Columbia making one of the best films of his entire career, The Return of the Vampire, mm-hmm. in which he was essentially playing Dracula. Right, yeah. Uh, uh, one of my favorite horror films of the 1940s, mm-hmm. bar none. I think mm-hmm. Return of the Vampire is an exceptional movie. 
And if you want it me, it is to, really good. And yeah, I mean, if you want me to to debate which of the two films, Son of Dracula or Return of the Vampire, I I like more. It is Return of the Vampire, but mm-hmm. that is not because I don't like mm-hmm. the film under discussion this evening. Mm-hmm. When you first saw this. Were you seeing it? Were you were you doing like a triple feature of Dracula, Dracula's daughter, and Son of Dracula, or was it something that you get you, you watched as a as a solo affair and, and and came to it? Do you remember? I really don't. My guess is probably as a solo affair. I don't ever remember stringing those three or like watching them close together. Um, I, I probably didn't see Dracula's daughter until around the same time that I saw Son of Dracula. Yeah. Uh, yet yeah. another one that I didn't see as a child, you know, that never played on TV. Same for me. So I probably saw them close together, but I, I don't really recall ever really trying to watch these three, watching these three films as a close trilogy. Okay. Um, I think because of Son of Dracula also, again, coming along late in life is, is, is you know, you don't, it doesn't get ingrained in your memory or in your DNA or, you know, you right. kind of, because you don't know it scene for scene. And so that really made it fun for me to, to come up to this, I was looking forward to coming up to this film in our series that we're doing here because, I mean, I probably can count on one hand the number of times I had seen it before coming into this just because, you know, I'd watch it maybe every 10 years or so, you know, oh, and okay. not too much where, so I could remember vague things about it, remember enjoying it, remember that it had some really very nice image, images and some interesting ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. But even just watching it the couple of times that I did to prepare for our show here, you know, I, I find my appreciation for the film grows each time that I see it. You know, I notice more things about it, but I, but I also do have questions about, and I don't know if, if, if you're going to be bringing information about the original shooting script or anything like that to the table here. You know, I never did get the... No, just, just you know, just a, some vague some vague mm-hmm. bits and pieces, but yeah. not anything in depth. Because no. there, there are things, the questions I have about what was originally intended, you know, coming into the films, which, you know, let's face it, we do that with, kind of have those questions about most all 40s films because yeah. they start out with bigger ambitions and then get hacked down. And even at 80 minutes here, there's a couple things here in this film that I, I think like, okay... Feels like something's missing here, you know. But oh, okay. Well, I can't wait to. I can't wait. Yeah. To, because but, the, the, but I like what's. I mean, I think it's very interesting. A lot of really interesting ideas there. But I feel like there's things there where I feel. You know, I, I'm thinking like I think there might have been something at least intended here that either got filmed and left out or just didn't get filmed. But I would like to know why. You know that kind of thing. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, see, I, I've always wondered if if there was a shorter version of this film that they decided against and mm-hmm. decided they needed it to Oh, to be. expand it. So you're thinking they might... No, 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 not expand it. But I think that it, in general with film, uh, especially these movies, they seem to shoot them mm-hmm. at the length that they've agreed to with the script. Mm-hmm. And right. then they get in the editing room and they just chop, 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 chop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes they chop to the film's detriment. Sometimes mm-hmm. they chop to its, its... It turns out that those ideas... Help the movie help the movie shoot along at a better pace, or by eliminating a certain uh, aspect of the of the story as written, it mm. actually it actually feels better. It feels more natural at times. But with this film, it almost seems to me. So that's why I'm curious about what uh, what you've got, uh, what questions mm. you've got. This one almost feels like we're getting mostly the script. Mm. Okay. Mo- you know, yeah. you know, versus uh, where we might have gotten something else in an, you know. Mm in some other ways and, and the reason I, th- I say this is that the original script was penned by uh, Curtis Siadamac mm-hmm. as he's given yep. the on-screen credit right right uh, not Kurt Siadamac but Curtis and it's mm-hmm. of course the same person mm-hmm. but they asked him uh, Universal asked Curtis <laughs> to uh, take a stab at writing a Dracula picture a sequel in uh, 1942 mainly because like I say Maybe it's time for another follow-up to Dracula mm-hmm. because we're making it's a money. Character they really let this guy 
and get this guy lying in his coffin for about eight years at this point, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, and right longer f- than that, really, since the yeah. 80s, yeah. It, yeah, since 31, if you want to be accurate. Yeah, sure, yeah. So the, the thing becomes, they had, they had to be thinking, man, we've been making Frankenstein movies, we've been making money, mummy movies, mm. we got these Invisible Man movies popping, popping, popping. Wolfie and all that stuff. Yeah, we, we got, we've got a couple of Wolfman movies under our belt mm. at this point. Uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we got this, we can mm. do it, let's mm. do it. So what the idea seems to have been is, hey, get him to uh, write a script, and then they did uh, they did a thing that, in hindsight, seems brilliant. But for for Kurt Siotomac, maybe maybe felt a little bittersweet at the time, which is they hired Robert Siotomac, mm-hmm. Kurt's brother, yeah. to direct the film. Yeah, this did this was not the original intent. Originally, the film was going to go in slightly different way, but the uh, the fact that uh, they they hired on uh, Kurt's brother meant that. Uh, they didn't get along. Mm-hmm. The, 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 two, the two brothers were were uh, oil and water, and so Robert, who would go on to be a truly great director oh, yeah, of film noir, yeah. yes. jumped into this film and kicked his brother right off and had Eric Taylor mm-hmm. uh, pin a new version of the script. And one has to think that some of the elements that are in this script, that, that mm-hmm. turn up in this film, they feel... So much, and we'll discuss a few of these, yeah. because that so much of this feels like it's almost a dry run for some of the, the film noir tropes that Siotomac mm. would would just mm. hone into a razor-sharp mm. edge in the coming years. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at this movie, and I don't know how quickly I want to say this, but to my mind, <laughs> Dracula is a punk in this, fo- in this movie. He gets, don't get me wrong, he's physically imposing... But he's getting used, man. <laughs> this movie has a no joke, yeah. balls out, vampiric femme fatale. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he is not the biggest bad guy in this movie. He's the most fearsome looking, and he's, mm. you know, mm. tosses people mm. through doors and all kinds of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But he's being used by a woman mm-hmm. to obtain immortality. And she ain't got no desire to stick with his happy ass in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. He's, she's doing it yeah. to get her man mm-hmm. so that they can live together forever. <laughs> and you think about that and you go, okay. Yeah. Oh, listen, there's, yeah, I'm looking forward to digging into the, the, the questions of, I'd like to, you know, what was probably we were intended to feel about characters at yeah. the time this is made and what I think modern audiences will respond differently to the oh, characters well, in this, you know, that, and, and uh, there's some serious sexual politics going on in this film for sure. Well, this is true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a there's a there's a lot to be said about this movie and I, I, I can't I can't wait to dig in. I was about to ask you the same question. Tonight Miss Caldwell and I were married. I am now master of this house. You see, you owe me an explanation. Well, I came here to see Catherine. The door was open. She didn't answer my call, and I thought I heard somebody here in the cellar. I, too, thought that I heard someone in the cellar. Come. earlier that uh, Eric Taylor uh, came in to work on the script with uh, Robert C. Odomack. And it would be tempting to kind of 
lump a lot of credit onto Taylor for kind of elevating this story above the standard B level because in a lot of ways, and I, I agree with Joe Dante who commented this on uh, the Trailers from Hell clip of this of the trailer mm-hmm. for this film, mm-hmm. when he says that this is a B picture that looks like an A picture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would have to agree with that. It's fantastic, yeah. It's, it's beautifully photographed. It really, it really looks sharp as hell. It helps that, of course, prints that we have of it now, those mm-hmm. 40s films, mm-hmm. they've held on to really great they elements have. for yes. those movies. And so nowadays when we're looking at it in high definition, yeah. it's... It's a thing of beauty. It is. It's gorgeous. And so there we really can see how much hard work was put into making this movie look as good as it could. Mm-hmm. And so that plays off well. But I have to say that uh, I'm going to... I don't know if I want to... I, don't, I necessarily want to agree with the uh, the opinion of the, uh, the writers of the Universal Horrors book, uh, Tom Weaver and the Brunus Brothers, because I'll, I'll just read this off. And it says... Um, Working an adult sensibility into the material and underscoring character development and motivation to a greater extent than the recent run of Universal Shockers may have been Eric Taylor's contributions to the to the script, and that's true. But then he says, indeed, Robert Siadamak's most important contribution to the film, along with his polished direction, might very well be his dismissal of his brother Kurt from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> While there may have been a family dynamic at play, as Kurt suggested... It's possible that it could have been a case of Robert being underwhelmed by some of his siblings' recent horror assignments. Surely, if the script of Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, with its action-driven plot and comic book ruminations on the nature of life and death, were any indication of how Kurt would have handled the Bram Stoker character, who could blame him? In comparison, Taylor's brew of film noir, gothic romance, and traditional horror was probably a lot closer to Robert Siadamak's temperament, unquote. Mm -hmm. And um, I have to agree. This really does feel like Robert Siodmak's work. Mm -hmm. And from what the, from what the story is, when he was given this assignment at Universal, he was not really thrilled with the idea, but his wife supposedly, according to his, uh, according to his story, convinced him to do it and to use the opportunity to prove to Universal what he could do, that he was worthy of better material. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so he appears to have taken that and run with it. Yeah. And I think that he got lucky in a number of respects. Uh, one, he was given the ability, they, they filmed this in four weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he had a certain amount of time. He, would, he certainly mm-hmm. didn't have a whole, I mean, he didn't have time coming out of his ears, but he mm-hmm. did have plenty of time to get this movie made for what it is. Mm-hmm. And that gave him also the chance to work with John Fulton, the amazing uh, special yeah, effects man, yeah. who by this time had been working on enough Invisible Man movies and other types of science fiction movies and horror films to concoct a number of wonderful tricks that he shows off to oh incredible effect. Yes, he movies. does. I agree. There are, well, first of all, there's a great bat transformation in this movie. Yeah, yeah. As much as we can all laugh at the rubber bats that mm. are in all these freaking movies... Mm. Don't get me wrong. I agree. I just saw a movie uh, earlier this week that, uh, or no, it was last week, that takes place in the 1970s, mm-hmm. had the fakest rubber bats in the world. And I'm like, oh my God, we're in the 70s. We're still doing <laughs> shitty rubber bats dangling from rubber lines mm-hmm. in the 70s. Anyway, we're never going to get away from that. So anyway, we uh, we have some absolutely, first of all, let's talk about the standout effects work just for a second. Yeah, yeah. The The... Bat transformation the into mm-hmm. Dracula is mm-hmm. is phenomenal and yes. I do love it, but at the same time, my favorites have got to be the uh, Dracula forming out of mist 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that they yeah. that they do twice. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so incredible. And also something else that feels like a Robert C. Automatic touch, something that might have been written into the script in a past film, but nobody would have taken the time or effort mm. to actually do it, is that moment when we get Dracula ghost like floating above the swamp. Oh, that's fantastic. As he, yeah, yeah, as he advances toward I, his bride. I think that's the image that the first time you see the film ever just stands yeah. out to you as like as it just, as the the key the key image of the film, the key moment of the film that you've not seen before, that you didn't see in you right. know, that was the most and this film has a lot of new ideas or fresh ideas for the time kind of, but that is the most the one that grabs you, the nurse is like, What a great entrance for the character or way to film the character or to film this sequence there is just yeah. so so imaginative so well done and, and see that's not even a special effect that no, is something no, just, you're, that's a completely in camera thing being yeah. done by a smart director mm-hmm. rigging up a rigging up a way to shoot something that just looks mm-hmm. fantastic mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's creepy it's effective it gives you the chills it's mm-hmm. really it's really nicely done getting but back I mean, to, oh, go ahead but I was just going to say I mean this is the kind of thing I'd expect, I would expect from Robert, uh, from Robert Siodemak I'm mm-hmm. such a huge fan of his work now it's got some fantastic I, I, films. Oh, oh, I know. Well, I'm I'm gonna say right up front that I think my favorite of his movies is the Spiral Staircase. Yeah, that's awesome. From from three years after this, 1946, yeah. the Spiral yeah. Staircase, which I, I think of as the proto giallo. I think it's mm-hmm. uh, it's the original, uh, at least as far as I can ascertain, mm-hmm. black gloved killer movie, the mm-hmm. murder mystery thing. It's a phenomenal movie, mm-hmm. and it is directed by it's directed by Robert C. Automack in a way that just feels like. He, he somehow looked into the future and went, these guys are all going to copy me, aren't they? <laughs> all these guys are going to do exactly what I'm doing in this movie, only in color and with blood splashed across the screen. But the uh, the I think as a director, he's amazing. Most people are going to remember, remember him for, especially the bigger of his noirs like Criss Cross or mm. um, uh, The Killers and mm. things like that. But man, people, if you've not seen The Spiral Staircase, do yourselves a favor. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's worth your time. What were you about to say? Oh, I was going to just say a little more about the bat transformation since we brought it up already. You know, the transformation is, you know, because yeah. the first time, yeah. first time he does it, he just walks up to the camera and blacks out the camera for a minute and then, and then, step, and then it changed, you know, steps back to the bat. So what we're talking about is the animated. Yes. Which. Well, and I'm glad they varied the ways in which they did it because then you're not, anti- you don't know what, yeah, to, what sure. to anticipate. Yeah, then the second each, time you're like, yeah. whoa, that's awesome, you know. Yeah, yeah. And as a kid, now again, I didn't see this as a kid, but this was a precursor, and I guess there's going to be several firsts in this film that I think are first that I'm going to bring up and see if I'm right. But I mean, I believe that this was the first, well, I know it's the first Universal, but I'm guessing this is the first time this technique was used in any vampire film I think to show uh, to, to show a, a man turning into a bat with oh, the, the anima- anima- animated the, the, using yeah. animation you know I mean I don't I don't know I would I would like to know because like I said I'm not going to just step out you know, I'm, I'm going to say I think it is but I could be totally wrong or maybe forgetting something yeah I, I don't know. but to my mind I don't remember a film pre-43 vampire film that used that technique but I don't either yeah but growing up what, what we saw that where we as kids saw this technique of course was always was in Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and in House of Frankenstein but in Correct. both of those films and I loved them as a kid they were one of the moments you just you just thought was so cool but they did it in a more cartoonish way because they drew in detail Correct. the smart the smart way looking at it now as I told you realize the smartest way to do it is the way they did it here in Son of Dracula where it's just totally black you know there's not because you know where it's just a totally black shape 
you know, it makes it much more convincing. And that was the better way to go with it than to do it as more of almost like a drawing in detail and making it more of a cartoony kind of change as they did in the, the other two films I mentioned. Yeah, this way it feels a lot more, it feels a lot more naturalistic because mm-hmm. it's it's done in black with with a, mm-hmm. a certain lack of detail. And yeah. it's, it's done in that way that, that it happens in a way that you can completely understand what's ha- completely understand what's happening in front of you, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's fast enough to fool the eye yeah. and yeah. realize that mm-hmm. it, it makes you realize after the fact. I didn't need a lot of detail in this because yeah. it really got across what it was trying to do as well right. as well as it could. Right? Uh, yeah, it's it's an impressive thing, and it's one of those. It's one of the great effects in the movie, and it's one of the um, it's one of the best moments of the of the film to just use as a recommendation. It's like. This you're right. I don't know if it was the first, but it, mm-hmm. I think it may be. Mm-hmm. And the fact, if it is the first place that 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 use of animation to mm-hmm. to to show a vampire transformation, uh, if it's, if it is the first place and it's not talked about more, that's kind of a crime because that's mm-hmm. another draw for a film like this. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then again, maybe I'm glad because the more people who see this movie and start thinking about it in a modern way. Uh, we're going to get to the point where people are like, "Wow, it's 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 the wussy Dracula film," <laughs> because without you know a modern eye looking at this, as soon as that as soon as that turn comes about halfway through the movie, when you realize that he's mm-hmm. that Dracula is actually here to be used by this woman, mm-hmm. and not vice versa, mm-hmm. uh, then becomes this thing that through modern eyes, and I can't imagine how it wasn't seen that way in the '40s. Maybe it just wasn't something that people mm-hmm. I don't know was mm-hmm. it seen that way. I would love to know. Anyway. I'll say this: I can't see any commentary about that that brings it up in a in a, a pointed way in any mm-hmm. of the reviews of the films, mm-hmm. uh, reviews of the films from the forties. So, mm-hmm. um, it, it, interesting, interesting what gets talked about and what does not. Yeah. The, in other words, for a lot of people, the real crime of this movie would be that it emasculates Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it does. Yeah. I think it really kind of does. But. This is the first Dracula we get on screen that kind of presages Christopher Lee's portrayal, where yes. Lee always felt more like a vital, energetic, you know, yeah. action-oriented yeah. guy. We're introduced to Dracula in 1958 in that first Hammer Dracula film, mm-hmm. you know, entering the room at speed, uh, you know, uh, uh, saying hello, being energetic, being gregarious and outgoing in a way that makes you think, Oh, okay. This is this is not some state aristocrat who's going to hold himself back emotionally. He's he's engaging with this person who's coming to his house at his mm-hmm. inv- at his invitation. Mm-hmm. The portrayal of Dracula throughout the Universal films is always much more, even when it's John Carradine, mm-hmm. is much more of a man who places himself above the people around him. He holds himself kind of aloof mm-hmm. from the people around him, and that's part of the way that the, the character. Is portrayed regardless of who is being called Dracula, or right. son of Dracula, or whatever we're calling this character. So at the same time, this physical way of portraying him is a first on screen. Uh, they don't really change the uh, the the inner workings, the kind of way in which the character holds himself and carries himself around the other characters. We only get a more physical character who can like grab somebody and throw them across the room. Yeah, which is great. It's a great step in the right direction, as far as I'm concerned, to demonstrate that we're looking, we're dealing with an undead supernatural creature, and that's fantastic. I love it. Yeah, Cheney's Dracula is the most physically imposing until we get to Christopher Lee. I mean, right. and that's what Cheney has going for him is his size. I mean, and he's uh, you know, uh, he's is that he's he has that he does kind of convey that kind of physical strength of Dracula. 
Well, let's talk about now that we've now that we've dug into it. Let's talk a little bit about Lon Chaney Jr. as you want to talk about first. Hold on, before we get into that, let's <laughs> before we talk about Lon Chaney Jr. Let's talk <laughs> yeah, about the fact that if you want to talk about a definite first yes. that this movie is, yes. you know what it is, and I, I know what it too. is. Tell me what it is. It's the thing that fooled us all. <laughs> the thing that <laughs> I don't even want to go to Alucard, Alucard. Yes, uh, yes. It's our first screens, first Alucard. And it's le- we're less than five minutes into the movie know, when a character just... looks at it and goes, huh, "Oh yeah, Dracula." That's <laughs> you know, spelled backwards. That's uh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't I didn't even pick up on that until these most recent times watching it, realizing how quickly in the film they just totally blow any mystery of you know. Yeah. It's like it's like we yeah we we know our audience is going to figure this out in, in, in the first <laughs> two scenes. So let's just go ahead and have one of our characters immediately cop to what's going on here. Yeah. You know? So that so that the audience can go. Ah, uh, uh, right. <laughs> mm, I, I see. I can never, I can never hear the the name without thinking always about reading, uh, in you know the great late great uh, Michael Weldon, you know the Psychotronic magazine. You know every time he would do a synopsis of a film that featured a, a character Alucard, he'd always put in parentheses "clever" with an exclamation point <laughs> after the. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, is it's so super clever. It is. It is. It's been clever since 1943. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's 80 years of cleverness. <laughs> Spelling Dracula backwards, folks. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> let's talk now. About... And it's great because you spell backwards, and everybody immediately well, like no, that's, no, not, that's, that's no, not a real no. name. That's not a real name. Halikar's not. Everybody immediately knows. Well, yeah, that. I know. Even in this movie, they're yeah, talking about. I don't know. That's, that's not, not a. Name. That's not a Hungarian name. No. <laughs> Well, that's okay. Don't worry. The guy playing him ain't Hungarian by that's a long too. stretch, so it don't matter anyway. Man. That's Trust right. Me. That's right. <laughs> so, so let's let's talk about. I just want to start talking about Johnny Alucard. Johnny Alucard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Now I want to be in the seventies with my still shitty rubber bats. Anyway, but the uh, let's talk about Lon Chaney Jr. Though, um, gonna throw out the word. We've already mentioned it. Want to see your reaction to it? Lon Chaney Jr. is "quote unquote" miscast. I've been trying to think of you know who could they have gotten around that time that would have been better. I mean, I, I certainly always enjoyed you know John Carradine and the two House films. You know, as as Dracula. I agree. I agree. I do too. Um, but you know, I know they were trying to. I know Chaney was kind of the per, the one they were pushing as their big horror star at the time. I think that he. He certainly doesn't walk through the role. I mean, I certainly think he tries no, to bring he's, his best he's to it. He's, and I think he delivers some of the lines pretty well, too. Um, you know, Would you be happier? This is a yeah. trick question. Okay. Would you be happier if Cheney had tried a foreign accent of some sort? Mm, I don't think so. Yeah, I've seen, I've done some thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And there mm-hmm. are lines question, where yeah. I think he could have done it mm-hmm. and I would have been happy. But then there are stretches of dialogue... For instance, the dialogue that he has uh, after he's already vampirized his new bride and is having that conversation outside the room with the doctor, mm-hmm. kind of emphasizing her wishes that they be left alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I keep trying, I keep listening to that dialogue and trying to imagine him trying to affect a foreign accent, and I realize that that just ain't gonna work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I can see why I thought it might it might be. I mean, it, it's it's. I don't think that I would want to see that you know it's 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 I don't think I think it's best that they didn't try that but I think that 
with one of the, the bigger question I had with this, so I'll bring it up now because I was going to bring it up at some point, see so if you had any thoughts on this, is why did they age him for this film? Oh, you mean the the kind of... The graying and the, the gray... And there's a couple of scenes. Did you notice a couple of scenes where he looks like he's old, even older, like where the gray is like... Yes. And see, this is something which I'm wondering if it was somehow left out, planned and left out, because of course we know in the original novel that's a big part of the character is he ages and then he gets younger. He gets younger, yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know, Cheney was still in pretty good shape then. I mean, he was oh, yeah, he's still good. I mean, he, I don't think he would have... I feel like if they had just gone with his natural dark hair color, I think he still would have been... You know, I don't think it would have affected the role too much, you know, but I almost, when I saw, you know, when I see him in the graying, I, I, I feel like at some point the idea was to make him appear younger in some scenes. But what's right. weird is the only time you ever really notice anything different is in the scene where the character of Frank is shooting, you know, is firing his bullets to him. I don't know if it's just the way the lighting worked out or not, but it really looks to me like they went heavier on the, like, intentionally made him look older in those scenes. For just oh, those brief maybe. scenes, it looked to me like he was even grayer. Because I noticed thinking, what are they? What are they doing? But my whole, my, I just had this whole overall question: is what were the thoughts behind? Why did they feel that they wanted to age him that way? And and uh, I don't know unless yeah. there was an idea that you're right. I hadn't thought about the fact that that's a good call. That maybe the idea would have been for him to look older mm-hmm. at the beginning of the story and less old as mm-hmm. the story progressed. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, here's an interesting thing that I don't, I don't, I know that almost no one notices this the first couple of times they watch this movie, but I can't help but notice it these days, which is the only victims that Dracula has in this movie that we're aware of is an old man and a kid. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, and um, usually the whole idea is that he's coming to the new world. I mean, that's the whole structure of Bram Stoker's novel. The first, coming to mm-hmm. the New York New World. Uh, and they even talk about it in this movie where the idea is to for him to to drain this place of its life to feed mm-hmm. himself. And the idea that the only victims that we know of really are an old man and a kid mm-hmm. it's it's really kind of it's really kind of weird. It's like where are the vital young teenage women <laughs> that he's supposed to be draining of life? Yeah. And uh, it's it's I mean they, you know we can't call his wife a victim. She's wanting him to do what he does. He never gloms on to uh, Evelyn Anchors, you know. Which is, yeah. I would be like, hey, I'm, noti- I'm well, noticing Evelyn yeah. Anchors. And if you want to talk about a missed opportunity for <laughs> yeah. a script, I'm, yes, we throw a- Evelyn Anchors away. She gives has nothing movie. to do. She has, I mean, she has like, yeah. I would say, I mean, she gives she gives as good a performance as she's allowed to give, but there's really there's nearly nothing here for her. Almost any actress could have played yeah. this role yeah. and done just as well because. Mm-hmm. They ain't a lot there. No. It's really, really kind of weird. It is strange. Well, let's talk about this, too. Did you notice that in this film, as the story is being told, when we get those, mm-hmm. uh, when we get the exposition that we get from uh, Bromberg's character, the kind of Ertzat von Helsing character, mm-hmm. it appears to me that the events of the first two movies, Dracula and Dracula's Daughter, don't exist in no. this film. Okay, so I'll, I'll thank you. That gives me a chance to say something I wanted to say. Anyways, is, is in case you... We're having fun with just sort of picturing this family portrait that shows Bell Lugosi and Long Cheney <laughs> Jr. and Gloria yeah. Holden all in a family portrait of father, son, and daughter. It don't work, folks. And, uh, no, not, no, not really. it really there's, doesn't. There's because... one throwaway line in the film where somebody mentions something about him being Dracula or a descendant of Dracula, and that's it. I mean, really, the film is kind of misnamed. You know, he's, yeah. For all practical purposes, he's Dracula. He's Dracula. Yeah. And the whole son of is simply a, an affectation of... 
you know, naming sequels is yeah. all it was. Yeah, there. they were just trying to follow in the universal tradition of son of, ghost of, you know, exactly. thing. So, yeah. Oh, it's a shame we never got Ghost of Dracula. <laughs> I'd have paid good money for that. <laughs> Dr. Brewster, what on earth brings you here this time of night? I hope nothing's happened to Claire. No. No, she was worried that something had happened to you. I'm sorry. Count Alucard and I were married tonight. Yes, so the Count told me. It was the way we wanted it. Quiet and alone. That's the way we're going to live, Doctor. You see, I'm engaged in some scientific research. It will take up all of our daylight hours. And we'll have no time for social life. We want you to explain this to Claire. And to Frank. I'm fond of Frank. But of course, he must never come here again. I'd like you to tell all our friends not to come. If Judge Simmons has papers for us to sign, tell him to bring them in the evening. Catherine is going to assist me in my research. I see. Well, uh, there doesn't seem to be any more for me to say, so if you'll pardon me, Catherine, I'll be leaving. Good night. Goodbye, Doctor. And say goodbye to Frank. I should emphasize some of Catherine's wishes. When I came to Dark Oaks, I was not graciously welcomed. Now the position has changed. I am master. Anyone who enters here without my permission will be considered a trespasser. Okay, so as you folks can See, we've, uh, as you gather, we've so much we want to talk about this film that I, are we even going to do a synopsis? Are we ever even going <laughs> I to plan to. <laughs> yes, I do. I actually do want to do one because I want to talk about some of the, I think the, the synopsis will kind of give us an end to talk about certain aspects of this movie that mm-hmm. otherwise we'd probably skip over. Starting with, mm-hmm. straight from the Universal Horrors book, the credits, which unfold as a gloved hand wipes away a swath of cobwebs and dust, revealing the film's title painted on a black surface in sweeping white letters. Very freaking cool. It was freaking cool. And it was a little different from, you know, the typical misty woods tracking through the misty woods, which I love that, of course. But it it was something, even here it shows they were kind of thinking a little different, you know, trying to give us something fresh. Agreed, agreed. Also, like, the score in this, and the score always feels effective, and it always feels like it's building things instead of... Uh, I don't know, being transplanted from some other place so that it yeah. feels... Yeah. It actually feels as if it's built for what's going on here. Mm-hmm. So as the credits fade, we're presented with a sun-drenched scene in a small-town American train depot. The accents and manner of dress of the characters suggest the Midwest, but the setting is actually somewhere in the Deep South. Now, let's mm-hmm. take a pause. Yes. You and I are from the South. Yes. We've lived in Tennessee <laughs> all of our lives. Uh-huh. Did you feel at any point in time we were actually in the South? No, I did not. No, I can't say so. There are only there are only a few telltale mm-hmm. little tr- little trivialities mm-hmm. that point you in that direction. One, it's a plantation. Yeah, 
and they keep calling it a plantation. Mm-hmm. And it's a plantation called Dark Oaks. Yeah, which, which I love that name. <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I love the name, and it does feel like what you'd call a plantation mm-hmm. way down here where you want to make a slightly racist comment, <laughs> but you don't want to be too sure about it. You want to make yeah. sure that you are throwing them them Yankees off your trail, and mm-hmm. maybe you're fooling them a little, <laughs> making them say that name. I don't know. But nevertheless, we also have another telltale detail in this, in that, hey, holy crap, the house is full of servants and they are all black. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. All of them. Mm -hmm. And so those are the two details in this entire thing, which says, hey, we're in the South. Everything else feels like it's freaking Indiana (laughs) or Iowa (laughs) or maybe Pennsylvania. I don't know who... Yeah. Regardless, yeah, it is. A, it's it's kind of they've somehow managed to figure out how to turn something in America into the same mystery continent that's in the other older the other universal yeah. films instead of there like it's a good like, point. That's where a good we're point. at, we're like in in the actually could sell Swampland in Kansas in this in this in this particular film, you know? Because <laughs> we feel like yeah, you're right. It's like at times we feel like we're in our town, and not just because we've got Frank Craven in it, you know? But Correct. Uh, but. But then other times, yes, we're we're in. Are, are we in? Is this New Louisiana? Where are we at here? See, that is the they feeling never, I get. Is yeah. that is this supposed to be like um, or Florida or whatever? Yeah, or, or maybe even the the Atlantic coast of Georgia. There's mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of swamp land yeah. there too. Yeah, who the hell knows? Mm-hmm. But regardless, we're supposed to play along here. Yeah. Yeah. we're in. We're not in universal European land. We're in mm-hmm. universal deep South <laughs> land. Yeah, it's a subset. There's an ocean between. The two of them, and that's about all we're willing to cop to. Yeah. So <laughs> we, have, we 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 see two men, Frank Stanley, played by Robert Page, mm-hmm. and Dr. Harry Brewster, played by the aforementioned Frank Craven, mm-hmm. impatiently awaiting the arrival of Count Alucard or Alucard, mm-hmm. a nobleman from Central Europe who has been invited to Dark Oaks, the plantation home of Stanley's fiance, Kay Caldwell played by Louise Albritton. When the Count doesn't appear, the pair leave, but not before they take a long, lingering look at his his uh, his bags, his, his uh, various trunks that have come along on the train, even if he didn't. And it's interesting. This is where we get that first moment where we're like, huh, oh, you can't, you can't. That's, uh, that's interesting. That's, yeah. uh, anyway, uh, I gotta be imagining this shit, right? That can't be right. Well, Kay's reception party proceeds despite the absence of its guest of honor. Once you've invited all those people, you kind of gotta throw the party. Right? right. The festivities are cut short when Kay's father, Colonel Caldwell, is found in his bed, seemingly dead from shock. But he was, of course, actually a victim of of Alucard. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hold off on, on saying that the, the D word yeah, until we're right. forced to. Count Alucard, played by Lon Chaney Jr., of course, makes a belated arrival. And when the suspicious Dr. Brewster notices the name Alucard is actually Dracula, spelled mm-hmm. backwards, he implores Kay's sister Claire, played by Evelyn Ankers, to leave the plantation and consults Professor Laszlo, J. Edward Bromberg, who is an authority on the occult. Now, let's talk a little bit about the cast for a second. We've already talked mm-hmm. about how mm-hmm. Evelyn Anker's really kind of a thankless role. Yeah. yeah. She's she's there. She does what she can with it. Mm-hmm. But, man, this is a come down from such juicy performances as we were able to get out of her and things like The Wolfman and a lot of other yeah. freaking movies, let's be honest. Yeah. But, okay, she's there. She's doing her job all as well. I love 
Dr. Brewster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of me that wonders, really, really wonders, mm-hmm. if the character in Fright Night, Charlie Brewster, yeah, wow, I, is a I callback had, ah, to this character. I had not thought of that at all. Very cool. Very, yeah, very I possibly. wonder about very possible. That. Yeah. And I've not, I've not seen. Uh, yeah. Maybe that, maybe it's out there. Maybe it's something that's generally known yeah. about Fright Night. Mm-hmm. That that is where Tom Holland got it. He's oh yeah, yeah I wanted, I wanted to include names yeah. from different vampire movies. It's exactly the kind of thing you would do. Sure. Yeah. But Very I've cool. never had anybody like draw a line. Mm-hmm. So our main character in Fright Night, I don't know, Charlie yeah. Brewster, <laughs> Doctor Brewster. Anyway, so what we have here is. Um, a great character. I do really like the Doctor character. He is he's the center of this thing as he is kind of the sensible guy who at first doubts all this occult crap mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then when he's confronted with just irrevocable evidence of it, all right, time to kill us a vampire. <laughs> time to take this seriously and go yeah. go hunting. Yeah. And I really like this guy. Mm-hmm. He does never at any point in time strike me as a man who has spent more than 15 minutes, maybe 15 days at the most in the South. Yeah. But <laughs> right, sure. as a character, he is freaking awesome. Right. So, Frank Craven, let's talk about him for just a moment. He plays Dr. Brewster. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he is primarily known to, 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 to film fans as the guy who both wrote the script mm-hmm. for the, adapt, the film adaptation of Our Town several mm-hmm. years before, mm-hmm. but also was the narrator of mm-hmm. the film. Yeah. And um, he was in so many different movies. And oh, he's, yeah. he's so good in this. And I have to admit that other than Our Town and this... I don't think I've seen him in other movies, and that is a real shame. I look at his list of credits. Yeah. Of course, he was also a writer, yeah. so he yeah. did other things as well. He, uh, if memory serves, he, I think he worked on a couple of uh, Laurel and Hardy mm. uh, films earlier, uh, earlier as well. But at the same time, you look at what he does here, and he's exceptional. Yeah. And of course, he's it's a juicy role. Yeah. It's it's really in a lot of ways the plum role if you're not playing the vampire. Yeah. Uh, but putting that to the side, <laughs> uh, if the other plum role would have to be the one played by Mr. Bromberg, let's not slight Robert Page, who plays Frank Stanley, who has the hardest job yeah. in this movie, in my opinion. Yeah. He is the, the love interest mm-hmm. of Louise Albritton's character, Kay, who is the one who has brought the vampire to this town mm-hmm. so that she can do what yeah. she wants to do with him. Right. And we watched this character played by Robert Page go from normal everyday dude mm-hmm. to jilted lover mm-hmm. to melancholy and trying to accept it to angry mm-hmm. because he discovers that they that his his beloved has gone behind everybody's back and married this scumbag European mm-hmm. bastard and then commits commits murder he kills yeah. her he is he watches yeah. himself yeah. shoot yeah. this Dracula scumbag mm-hmm. and his wife or his intended bride fall over dead behind mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. this is absolutely one of the roughest roles I've okay. seen a character travel yeah. in one of these monster movies who was not a tortured werewolf. Let's put it this way. <laughs> this poor guy, I mean, he ends up in jail. I mean, I'm, mm. I'm surprised at, at any mm. point in time if they had decided that this character just hung himself in jail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'd have been like, yeah, yeah, that's where this guy was going. Yeah. That's where he was ending up. Yeah. This poor this poor bastard. There's no way around it. It's a shame. Mm. But the path this character takes, this guy's got to work his ass off. 
I mean, because he is the guy who, by the end of the film, and we're going to go all the way to the end of the film, he's the one that takes care of business. Mm -hmm. He's the one who, even if he has been driven mad, and that mm -hmm. is a, that's a valid way to read what happens to his character as the story mm -hmm. goes on. He, uh, he's kind of the action hero in the final act. And that's kind of wild because by that time, you're pretty sure he's unhinged. Yeah, yeah. And that's another thing that kind of leads me in the direction of thinking that this is a proto-film noir because there are many a film noir where mm -hmm. our uh, our hero, by the third act, you're realizing, oh, he ain't all there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this guy, he's not just a casual murderer. You know, he's not just someone who murdered out of out of spite or out of need or out of necessity this is this is a man who's been driven to the point where he's just crazy you mm -hmm. know yeah yeah i think so yeah because i would love to I, there's some there's a couple of cases here of, of characters i would love to know what really were the writer's intentions or what they were kind of at least trying to secretly work into what they really felt were they trying to subvert certain roles or certain even though they were yeah. on the top of course having to play to the movie code and the code of conduct and the code of but because you when as soon as you're introduced to this character of frank you instantly think okay he's going to be the romantic male lead you know he's going to be the guy who's who's going to get the girl in the end he's going to be the guy who's going to do the right thing you know through the right, film right. you know and he, he's, he's going to be standing as the credits roll with his arm around mm -hmm. as beloved right but the thing is, we yeah. know that can't happen partway through the film because she's a vampire. Yeah, and but but also, you know, I keep getting hung on the fact that when he goes to confront Dracula and and uh, or Alucard and Kay, <laughs> yeah, his his the the woman who's jilted him, when he goes to confront them in their home, okay, he doesn't know that at the at this point he doesn't know Alucard's a monster. He doesn't know Alucard's a vampire. He just don't like him. He just doesn't like him, right? Yeah. And throughout the film, we've had him kind of like tell her, like you know how you know she she just she's going to change her mind and change her ways, you know, once she's with him, you know, she's going to forget all this occult nonsense and all these interests she's had, right. you know, you know, once 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 all this nonsense, once, and supernatural once nonsense, she's birthing you know, babies, exactly, your attitude's going to change, exactly. woman. Yeah, it's <laughs> essentially and, the attitude. Right? And I'm assuming that when they write this, they feel the audience is going to feel that way too, because the audience right. at the time is that she is the bad woman who needs to be punished because she has gone in the classic where people are not supposed to delved into things that people are not supposed to know about, especially women. Well, and in two ways, not just the yeah. occult end of things, but oh, but it, just it, it, she's in the off. She's off. Way, well, yeah, exactly. She's off having a sexual adventure of her own in Europe away yeah. from the man yeah. that she's supposedly betrothed to. Well, let's just go and say it. I mean, she's the most interesting character in the whole film, in my opinion. She's the no, character okay, that okay. She, that's, she, that's, that's, a, that's a good call. I'm, I, I love the doctor more, but I understand. Yeah, well, I mean, he's he's a likable character. I'm talking about just, I mean, she, she's the person that, to me, is the most fascinating, is the most well-rounded, and just the most interesting has the most depth. Oh, she's yeah, yeah. Let's not think she's okay. When, look at this. When you piece. find out her plan, that's a dark yeah. moment. Yeah, and but you know, already okay. She's gone to Europe on her own. Brought back a friggin' gypsy woman with her. You know, oh, I know we forgot about the gypsy woman. That scene is awesome, man. And had something going on with this European count. You know, has come back. But of course, she. That and the fact that she's a brunette, she must pay for this. <laughs> okay, I didn't she's, think I didn't think about the hair color. Bad woman, you know. Yeah. But but getting back to Frank, when he goes to confront them, okay, we it, it, after they watch the scene, they're like, okay, so he brought a gun with him. He yep. brought a gun with him, even though really at this point this is just. <laughs> but some... he brought a gun to a vampire fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> 
his mistake. <laughs> that is his mistake. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So 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 when he, you know, and and all Dracula really does. I mean, it's not like Dracula's trying to bite his neck or even trying to kill him. I mean, you know, he basically confronts him, and in his own house, Dracula has the right, or Alucard yeah. has the right to defend him. So he grabs him by the throat and throws, and throws him, him out the door. Throws him out, you know, and then he pulls out a gun and friggin' fires at him. I know. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, Frank really in no way. Comes, I mean, kind of comes off already as, as he's the he's the crazy one, you know. As he's he's the, a he's, little hard to defend in that moment. He really is, and I, and so that's why I kind of think it's 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 interesting the things they do with the character. That I think you, to me, for me, I didn't really feel any real actual affinity or or uh, uh, respect at all or caring about this character until the very tail end of the film. What he did right, at the very right. tail end of the film, what he has to do. That's kind of I think finally felt some actual sympathy for this guy and 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 I started to feel sympathy for him when uh Kay comes to, as a vampire comes mm-hmm. to his jail cell and explains her plan. Mm-hmm. It's like, dear, you <laughs> might have wanted to clue this yeah. man in because I got news for you. Yeah. He's now around the bend. Yeah, yeah. He's gone. And she's yeah, and she's crazy too in her own way. She is. But but they were a better match than anybody knew. But again, early in the film, before she's anybody really knows the depths of what she's done, you know, or depths. I mean, they're they, the part where they start talking about having her committed. Yeah. And the, really, the only reason they're having her committed is because she's basically decided to take on this property for herself. It's like right, right. she's crazy, you know. Okay, and so again, it's, it's a woman taking taking full yeah full. <laughs> full uh, account of herself. She's actually self-motivated. Yeah. She's someone who's doing things on her own. Yeah. And it's like... And they're talking about her in asylum. I'm saying the yeah, thing is she hasn't like, done anything. She's not you're done gonna... anything wrong. She <laughs> yeah. was... There's a will. The yeah. house is hers. Yes, you're right. She's in her rights. Perfectly <laughs> yeah. within her rights. Yeah. The fuck is... Maybe this is in the South. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And this, I think, these are some parts where I felt like the script was just kind of... Parts of weaknesses of the script where I think like kind of goes overboard with some of these ideas where it could have yeah. been restrained yeah. a little more. I mean, they could have talked about some of these same things concerned for or without. But I think it's just a case of... Just not, you know, just making things, I guess, you know, uh, trying to get to a, furthering along the plot and get to a certain, I guess, to maybe make even her plot or her thing with Dracula seem even that much more kind of an undanger, you know, like they oh, have okay. to move well, quicker yeah, to get, yeah. like, That's the whole fact that they, they get married behind everybody's back and so quickly trying to make it seem like, you know, more like she has to do this quickly before they all come for her and take her away or something. So I think for dramatic purposes, it maybe doesn't. But here's the thing. What is the what is the normal human reason that people would get married quickly behind everybody's back? Mm-hmm. Think about what it is. Because it's, it's pregnancy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Sure. But that is not that's not no. what's happening here. No. There is no chance for pregnancy in this mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to me. And once again, you can see this as a dry run for some plots that would show up in in, in crime films yeah. over the next twenty years. Yeah. Where the motivating thing that's pushing a woman to do mm-hmm. some crazy ass thing or something that that the men in her life don't understand mm-hmm. is that she's pregnant. She's she's pregnant mm-hmm. out of wedlock. Mm-hmm. So that once again is it. You know, if you just like look at it from high above, mm-hmm. take a 50,000 50, foot level look. Mm-hmm. We're playing with motivating factors in a woman's character. Mm-hmm. And some of the what we want is the character to be a, 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 a catalyst for other things that happen in the in the, in the story. What can motivate her? Mm. Well, in this case, she's motivated because she's a femme fatale out for mm. literal immortality. Yeah, immortality. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in, in a in a film noir, mm. maybe she's a woman who has gotten pregnant mm. and is now 
having to arrange things in such a way that she ends up with the man she actually wants to be with rather than the man that she actually got mm. knocked up by. <laughs> right. And so they, they, they're all these changing things, but they end up pushing stories in the same direction. It's a very interesting way of mm. looking at how these, these uh, female characters, and remember, all of the creative people behind the scenes on this are all men. Yeah. So yeah, all sure. of these perspectives yeah. on what a woman would do and how a woman would act are coming from a male perspective in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so the idea mm-hmm. that we're painting this woman in this film as the villain because, well, she is. Mm-hmm. The idea of that being seen as a flip of the script in a way, mm-hmm. and it is. I yeah. mean, let's yeah. let's be honest. This is a, this is mm-hmm. a pretty clever change up for mm-hmm. a film of this type. But it also fits so nicely into what was to come. I'm not kidding around when I say she's a film fatale in a horror movie. She is. And it's weird to watch this play out the way it does. Right, but the person that she, the the entity that she is most working to screw over ultimately is the the monster. Is the, you know, is... is Once she gets what she wants from him, from this old European that Mm. she's married for... Mm. Her or oh, for his money? No, yeah. not for his money. She's the one with the money. Mm-hmm. She's marrying this guy. Yeah. See, in another movie, in a film, in a film mm-hmm. noir, she'd be marrying this old guy yeah, from get, Europe yeah. to get his money, uh-huh. and then looking for a way to knock him off so she can be with her young man. See how easily it yeah. fits into the film noir, film yeah. femme fatale template. So it's we're saying perfect. it's a yeah. So we're saying it's a horror noir is what it is really. Pretty it's much, a, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it and it's got all the trappings. It's also got mm-hmm. some wonderful gothic trappings. I think mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why they may have wanted to set it quote unquote in the mm-hmm. south. You know, mm-hmm. on a plantation in a swamp because then it's it's so much cooler looking. You get oh. the you get the swamp water. You get the you get the magnolias. You get yeah. all of that that creepy atmosphere that you yeah. get from setting it in a, a place like that. And, and unlike a, a later monster movie, universal monster movie that's set in the swamp that we'll get to at some point, at least the monster, which I won't mention right now, at least the monster in this film has a reason for being in, in the in the, in the swamps. Oh, in and, the swamp? In the American swamps ah, yes. uh, well, from Europe. You are a, completely yeah. discounting my theory of mummy teleportation. Oh, right. That's right. We'll get to that. We'll, we'll get, get to, to that. The theory, so. Yes, yes. But, but I do, I, I, I thought it was... It's kind of an interesting uh, um, little angle to the film here. Is 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 Dracula? Is is the whole thing of Dracula coming to a world that he sees as young and and yes. and, virile. and and I think Cheney does a good job of delivering some of those lines. You know, when he has to speak oh, yeah, about that, when yeah. he has to speak about that about Europe. You know, the way it is, how it's, it's kind of dead to him, really, with the, the dried, kind of dried up and old, and, 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 and that the young blood of America is what's attracting him. I think that's, that's a cool angle. That's an interesting thing to explore there. I agree. And it I gives agree. him a reason, a good reason to be there, you know, to, you know, so, and I guess this is our first vampire in America, our first Dracula in America film, probably, I think, maybe. Uh, oh, man, that's a fine question. Oh, wow, I almost... Maybe, maybe not. Man, you're trying, right. I, was, I hadn't yeah. thought about that, but it may very well be. Is that true? I mean, it... Once again, yeah. it's one of those things I don't want to just, you know, everybody, everybody's out there free to call me out on that if I'm wrong. It's just when I tried to think of it, to memory, I could not think of a... Could not yet think of a... Yeah, Dracula in America. Dracula in America yeah, film yet. Yeah. I mean, Sherlock Holmes has already come to Washington by this time. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know. That's interesting. I had not thought about that, but you're right. I mean, everybody talks about this being the first film where we get the Alucard thing. But, yeah, maybe this is the first Dracula coming to America storyline mm. I hadn't... Maybe so. You may yeah. be right. That is a good question to throw out there, and one that I had not considered before. I it just that one breezed right past me. Good call, man. And by the way, uh, interesting thing about Louise Albritton that plays Kay is uh, she 
was told when she wanted to be an actress that she was too tall, you know, for film work. Uh, but that really works well in this film. Yes, that she is something approaching Lon Chaney's height in this film is good. Exactly. And, and honestly, they, they look on great screen, together. they look great. They do. They really do. Yeah. And I, I just as, a, as an aside, there are a few scenes where the, the, uh, the dress that they put her in, the costuming, really recalls the Vampire Bride's dresses yeah. in the 31 film. Yeah. And I thought that was a neat callback because mm. that's what we're seeing yes. her in that long before we know that that's essentially what she's aiming to become. Mm. In other words, this is long before we're still th- we're, we're seeing her in, you know, dressed in that way in a few scenes mm. before we realize that she's actually seeking this out as opposed to about to become a victim, which yeah. I think is mm. pretty neat. Yeah. Tommy's going to be all right. He's had a bit of a shock, but I want him to stay here until he regains consciousness. I'll call you. Thank you, Doctor. Dracula's first victim, starting fast. Tell me, does that mean that Tommy is in danger of becoming a vampire himself? No, unless Alucard drained so much blood from him that he died. Well, what about Kay? She died from bullet wounds, and yet you implied that she would become a vampire? Yes, but her case was different. Her background was... I know, morbid. She'd gone overboard on the subject of the supernatural, black magic and the like. Exactly. And I rather believe that Miss Caldwell may have made a transition from choice. No one could choose a thing so loathsome. Don't forget, the girl was morbid. That often means thanatophobia, fear of death. And Alucard could promise her eternal life. Eternal life at such a price? Why do you think she is a vampire? The dirt which I understand had been thrown into her grave. Who else would have done that except... Alucard, Dracula. But then that means we have to destroy her as well? That should be relatively simple. Her sister could order her cremation while the body is still in the morgue. Perhaps you're right. Okay, well, uh, leery of Alucard's motives and jealous over... We keep jumping back and forth because we keep talking Mm. about various aspects of this. I'm going to go go back to this. Okay. Uh, Jealous over his attentions to Kay, Frank shadows Alucard and Kay. Confronting the pair, Frank is appalled to learn that Kay and the Count were just married. Frank and Alucard clash. Frank empties his revolver into the Count, but the bullets pass through his body and kill Kay. Another great scene mm-hmm. that I... And that, another new idea. Another exactly. Idea. It really is. There's a number of ideas that get brought up a couple of times in this movie. Um, not all of them get the, get the attention brought to them that you would think. We, they, they don't underline the fact that the backstory we get on Dracula does seem to indicate that the, the first two movies, Dracula and Dracula's Daughter, don't exist mm. in this story that we're... That, that's, the, that's the impression we get. Mm. But another thing that we get is there's not really anything held to the idea that the vampire has to be invited into a place either. You're right, yeah. Because not only does uh, Kay come into the jail cell, jail cell with, uh, with Frank without being invited, mm. uh, also Dracula misses his way into the, yeah. the into yeah. the doctor's office mm-hmm. all on his own lonesome there as well without any kind of invite. Yeah, which is a fantastic scene. I do wish that they hadn't had the one of the characters was speaking about Dracula can turn into a mist just as he comes just in. Just as he was like, it didn't need that because it's a wonderful where they're just talking and you don't expect Dracula to show up at all and suddenly you see this mist coming 
through the door while they're talking. And I just I kind of wish they didn't have one of them speaking about him turning into mist. It's just too on the nose and it was unnecessary. Otherwise, it's a wonderful visual scene though, where he just pops in. Well, it is day. an interesting idea that you you put your finger on something that has been talked about uh, in uh, certain ways about this film as a negative. Do you think that the the Bromberg character the mm-hmm. our, our fake von Helsing character mm-hmm. who shows up halfway through the film do you think that character was necessary or not like is he there other than just provide exposition about vampires and their kith and kin and all that or to add like somebody with a different accent I yeah think. right yeah to somebody um I didn't mind the character I mean I was okay with I mean I didn't find myself well, no, feeling no, here's that he the thing. was good I'll, I'll tell you I like the character yeah, yeah. But you're just saying does it would it have worked would it have it worked before? without it because he seems to just be there to tell us mm-hmm. things as you were just talking about yeah, yeah. to just tell us things that we that are already going to be demonstrated in the movie like in other words could we have had Dr. Brewster just kind of researched this stuff on his right. own. He's obviously the name Dracula rings a bell with him already. Correct. So did he really need somebody to play off of or could we just have had him just research this on his own and kind of come to his own conclusions? And probably we could. Probably we could have. See, um, I, and the thing is, I would, I, would, uh, I would countenance against throwing the character out of the film mm-hmm. just because I enjoy him. Yeah, I liked him too. Like I said, uh, I didn't have any But at the same time... Around. It's easy to see how this story could have been told without mm-hmm. the European guy, mm-hmm. you know, flying in to let us know about mm-hmm. all these all these different mm-hmm. pieces of uh, mm-hmm. Dracula lore, vamp, you know, vampire lore. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be could have easily been written that way, and it would have been just fine. The, the, I have seen it argued that the character is not just unnecessary, but kind of a distraction. Mm-hmm. And you put your finger on the thing that seems to draw the ire of some people mm-hmm. talking about the character not being necessary, which is, mm-hmm. do we really need this character explaining something to us that just we're going to get to see yeah. twice in this movie yeah. and is really cool and would be cooler maybe if we didn't hear a verbal description of it? Mm-hmm. Or if you're going to have a guy do a verbal description of this kind of stuff, wouldn't it be cooler to have him describing things that don't necessarily show up in the film. Things that are mm-hmm. just like background information on Dracula, the character, mm-hmm. or background information on different pieces of vampire lore, things yeah. that would creep into the story or not necessarily show up in the story and therefore kind of be, you know, like throwing cha- uh, cha- uh, chafe in the air so mm-hmm. that you're looking for things that may not show up. Usually, though, they're not going to do that because they don't they don't, they, they right. don't want to distract their audience with a detail yeah. that, uh, that uh, doesn't actually uh, get confirmed by the story as it goes along. Yeah. But um, you you bringing that up does does show me that uh, it's not it's not just some people that I've read mm-hmm. in different books that feel that way. But you're you you're seeming mm-hmm. to yeah. to feel like that. But at the same time, mm-hmm. I do love the the way this story progresses. Uh, there has been the occasional comment made about the film that it it feels overlong. And if you think about it, okay, it's eighty mm-hmm. minutes long. Mm-hmm. It's long. It's certainly longer than mm-hmm. <laughs> the last several. <laughs> Of the, the the universal horror films, oh, that absolutely, we can yeah, of. yeah. I mean, it's not Son of Frankenstein length, right? But at the same time, almost none of them are, <clears throat> right? Yeah. So what we're talking about here is a movie that is longer than average. Mm-hmm. Does it earn that length, in your opinion? Well, you know, as I said when we started the show, I told you I thought that there was felt like something missing, a little bit missing that that uh, that I think had this been in here, I would have like I would have I would have been accepting of an even little longer length if they'd had something that I felt kind of sorry we didn't see and wondered if it had been filmed or was in the original script. And that goes all the way back to the early part of the film mm-hmm. where Dracula first visits the plantation and he's right. there to kill the old, you know, kill the the patriarch, you know, kill father, the old man, yeah. you know. And we get that wonderful 
wonderful scene. I do want to mention this just because it is great where, you know, yes, it is the rubber bat, but the way that he frames the way Seonimak shows the servant wheeling the patriarch into his bedroom and in the same scene uh, cut we see the, the bat fly yeah, down the hallway yeah. and do that great transformation just as they pass by i love that scene i think it's fantastic but after dracula's done his business and you know and the people there you know killed the old patriarch and the people have discovered the body and the you know the house is all a twitter you know with the being a murder in the, or a death in the house and he shows back up at the door and the servant's there and he and he, he compels the servant to announce him you know, to the family, and we never see the family's first meeting with him. And I oh, think that's really yeah. strange. It's referred to. Yeah, that's true. They talk about the they talk about the servants all leaving, and so we're we're led to assume, you know, that Dracula, they you know, Dracula mesmerized, scared them, terrified them all to well, all the I servants. Th- I thought the re- I thought the reason given for the for the uh, servants leaving had to do with uh, the, what they felt was an unnatural death of. The colonel. Mm, well, it's see that's you know, I thought that because last we see of Dracula when he's entering the house is he's backing the servant up and he's kind of got him mesmerized and so my impression was that he did something to scare to make the servants all like leave himself you know yeah, again we're not shown you're, that yeah you're making a valid point there but I'm like thinking because you know next we know they've already met Dracula and they refer to it a couple of times and and there's a part where um, Evelyn Anchor's character where she even like mentions that he was, you know, that, that when they met him, he, whatever, something, I forget exactly what she says, or something to the effect that he frightened her, or she, you know, right. something. And then Dracula even says to Dr. Brewster, he says, when I first came here, I was I was not treated, I was not welcomed very well, you know, I was not oh, treated yeah, very well. Yeah, and I was sitting there thinking, like, he, he, I would have liked to have seen that. I think that would have been, that seems to me like a really high point dramatic where Dracula comes in and is announced to the family as they're grieving over the person he's just killed, and to have seen that interaction, and that's why I thought, like, was that in there? Was that originally in the script? Did they film it? You know, Did they just it almost it? it almost has to have been. Yeah. So I was just curious because I just felt like that feels like something missing there that we should have seen. You know that I that, never uh, thought yeah. about that before. Yeah. Holy shit! I don't know how many times I've watched yeah. this film. Yeah. If I've watched it once, I've watched yeah. it twelve times <laughs> over the years, yeah. and I can't believe I've never thought about that before. You're right. Yeah. You're right. That is something that feels like it. You're right. As soon as you think about it yeah. and kind of connect those dots, it seems like that is something that's missing from the movie. You're right. Yeah. Interesting. That's why I never. I don't know if they ever released this in the uh, that great Philip Riley series. There, there is, a, there is a book. There is a book, yeah. a, a film script book. Yeah. Well, there was a book that I've been thinking about getting for years and just have never actually pulled the trigger on for whatever reason. It's like scripts from the crypt or scripts. Oh, right, yeah. Gary D. Gary D. Rhodes, mm-hmm. uh, Gary Rhodes, Tom Weaver, and Robert Kiss mm-hmm. combined to write a book uh, around the, the, the shooting script for this movie. And I have to say, now I kind of wish I'd already had it so yeah, I could have gone too. through it yeah. and, and seen if that... I, I bet you money that the scene you're describing was in the screenplay mm-hmm. and was probably even shot. Yeah, I bet. You would think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah. that's interesting. I'm, I'm surprised that it never occurred to me that that's something mm-hmm. that uh, could be missing from the story. Um, well, back to this. The, the, the next morning, Frank confesses his crime to Sheriff Dawes who does feel like a bit of a Southern character, well, I'll admit. Mm, yeah, yeah. Brewster's quick to intervene, the good doctor, of course, insisting that he spoke to Kate hours after the alleged murder took place. Poo-poo and frou-frous. <laughs> she, I just spoke to her last night. She's perfectly fine, even though I couldn't see her neck. <laughs> Coming to grounds of the plantation, the sheriff discovers Kay's body in the family crypt and promptly books Frank on a charge of murder. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) 
Barely escaping being charged as an accessory, mm-hmm. Brewster fills Laszlo, who's now come to town, in on the events on, uh, in this case. Convinced that Alucard is a descendant of Count Dracula, or might be just Dracula just himself. Dracula. Come on, think about it. <laughs> the professor theorizes that Kay deliberately courted the vampire in order to attain eternal life and is now plotting to initiate Frank into the ranks of the undead. Which makes me think... Mm-hmm. Did we need him saying that when the we the, when we get then yeah. get the next sequence the uh, the bat form of K appearing in Frank's jail cell draws a small quantity of blood out of him while he sleeps and then she materializes awakens Frank and says hey that thing the old Hungarian dude was babbling about that's what's going on <laughs> I'm a femme fatale we're gonna live yeah. forever yeah. you need to go along with this and don't go crazy on me yeah. Yeah, that's you're you're right. It, would, it seems like it'd be a little more effective to have just heard it straight from her. You know that right. uh, where we think that she's maybe just coming to finish Frank off, or that we think that all this time that she's really just been playing him. Well, do you think that at this time in 1943, that maybe they kind of needed to ease an audience into the idea of yeah. this this mm-hmm. I, of this mm-hmm. femme fatale becoming a vampire of her own free will? That is that yeah. is. A little much mm-hmm. for a 1943 audience, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Well, escaping from jail, our man Frank heads for Dracula's coffin because she said, look, yeah. all you got to do is off Dracula. Yeah. Here's yeah. ways you can do it. Yeah. Go do that, mm-hmm. and then we'll live forever. Frank sets fire to the coffin and is about to make his getaway when the Count appears and it doesn't go well from there. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. The enraged vampire. And let me say, I attempts. think Cheney is terrific in this. By the way, in this scene, by the way, I think Cheney does a great job. I think he's great, except I want there to be less of his. What I refer to as the standard Lon Cheney dialogue, <laughs> and I will sp- specify. Okay. All right. Do you, do, don't you understand? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yes, he does. I, I get Yeah, yeah. Because you're grabbing him and slinging him around yeah, by the yeah, neck, yeah. he probably gets it. Do you hear me? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. We, we, yeah. Yes, he does. Yeah. yeah. That that seems to me to almost always be this kind of verbal filler that they write for Long Chaney Jr. That's a good point. That's a and good point. And it's like, mm-hmm. dude, you need to stop this. It, mm-hmm. it, it becomes, when you watch these movies as many times as we have... Mm-hmm. You start to you start to be able to just kind of skip ahead yeah. on some of the dialogue where yeah. it's like, yes, yes, <laughs> nobody understands how horrible it is to be a werewolf. Yes, yeah. we know. Yes, yes, yes. This is uh, yeah. We don't understand. We don't understand. You're gonna turn into a wolf. It's kind of the thing they used to hilarious effect in Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein. They do the Correct. same thing with him, and it's very funny. You know, these are to comic effect because of the way that Costello plays off that, but. But uh, in this, by the way, did you notice in the scene of the burning coffin, did you notice them thrusting the stuntman's face first into the, the fire there? Did you catch that? Yes. Every time I see that, I think, like, Jesus, I hope this guy wasn't well, I also hope, in this. Well, I hope that there's some trickery going on here. Yeah. There, there are ways to shoot that sure. using a reflection or a mirror mm-hmm. so that it looks more dangerous than it is. And I'm just wondering if that's what was going yeah, on. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah. it truly, if it is, it's a great illusion, but it literally looks like he, like the guy, the, whoever the stuntman is, looks like he falls literally face into first the into fire, the fire. Right? Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know, but it, it's it's a great sequence. Um, uh, while 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 old Drac is attempting to put out the uh, the flames, he gets caught in the rays of the uh, the sun as it rises, and he perishes. And I got to do this to you again. Which is, is? This the first? Is this the first vampire disintegration? What happens in Return? When was Return of the Vampire? How does that? I can't remember what happens to the vampire at the end. But is this the first? He gets staked again. But is this the first vampire into skeleton or vampire disintegrating and vanishing? And oh, did, did shit. we? Is this um, the first or not? 
my God, I don't. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I keep feeling I'm going to get reamed for the all, one, the all one these I things that I'm throwing about, out by our yeah. listeners are going to be like, no, no, dude, you, you know, you're forgetting this or that. But I keep seeing these things. I think like, I don't know if it happened before this, if this is our first. Oh my God, this <laughs> might be the first for that too. Holy shit. Why didn't you do more research, you asshole? Why are you throwing this stuff <laughs> at me? I don't you know. you to know all this. <laughs> no, I don't know this. Holy hell. <laughs> but I mean, it's a good, I mean, yeah. maybe it is. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is. Wow. I mean, I guess technically, I, mean, we, I guess technically, technically not, Nosferatu. I was going to say he disappears. He just kind of disappears. But yeah, we, yeah, but we, we don't, don't see him with turn a, into a skeleton. Yeah, we don't get a, skele- a skeletal hand or a skeletal anything. I mean, you right. know, you, you get that in House of Frankenstein. Right. And those are the ones and we it, always saw. We just thought right. we did, but this is before all those. So. We get the we get the the, the flesh peeling off the uh, the skeleton and the horror of Frankenstein in fifty eight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, horror of Dracula. Pardon me. Yeah, right. In fifty eight, but we don't get. Man, I don't know. This could you may be right. This could be the first for that idea as well. That's uh, mm-hmm. damn. I did not prepare well enough for this. Time. <laughs> People, I'd like to apologize to those of you listening to the show. Rod was not as prepared as he thought he was. <laughs> damn. By the way, one thing that I think is a first that maybe is an only and maybe a good thing is I don't know that I ever saw what they do with the kid where he paints the crosses over the vampire bites. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of like. I don't know that I ever saw that again. I'm probably glad that I didn't. That's a little silly. I don't know. It's kind of strange, but well, it's an interesting. Get, it's an interesting idea. Of, well, you get it. Well, you get kind of a variation on it in Brides of Dracula, though, for Hammer. Which well, is, he burns. He where, he where he burns a cross onto his flesh okay. over over yeah. the bites after right. he's been bitten, and right. somehow this and some holy water cures him of vampirism. Yeah. So, so mixing with the holy water and cauterizing the wound, I can kind of see is believe is a little more effective, but the whole painting the crosses over the bike is just like, okay, I don't know. <laughs> well, what, that, well, well, what I saw that as, and you know, this, this may be my interpretation of it and not the way they intended I mean, they had to save the kids some ways. So no, 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 not, not a, not a way to say, well, I don't think the painting that the putting, putting that stuff on those wounds mm was a way to save the kid. I think that it was a way to ward off the, the vampire coming back for more. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I that's what I thought it was being done as. In other words, it's not that putting oh, across oh, nice. the wound yeah, okay. was doing see. anything. Oh, okay. To keep it from, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. Well, that makes more sense, and I can see that. I didn't think about that. That's what so, I've always yeah. thought. Okay, yeah. no, I didn't think. Okay, good. Okay. That, that makes more sense, and I like that better. All right, all right. Um, well, Frank then makes his way to Dark, Oak, Dark Oaks, uh, keeping his promise to Kate to meet her in the attic nursery. Uh, and boy, does he. Finding her body lying in a casket, he gently places his ring on her finger. Moments later, Brewster, Laszlo, and Sheriff Dawes arrive to find Frank calmly standing by as the fire he set engulfs the nursery and the undead Kay, freeing her soul forever. And we see the very doomed man, Frank, mm-hmm. standing there, yeah. realizing that they're going to lock him up for this one, <laughs> but it was the only way. Some interesting things about this. First of all, I love the the burning uh, her the burning you know uh, yeah. great you know her her burning tomb or you know whatever. There was a great. I love the way that's filmed. That's just a beautiful last image there. Yes, it is. But uh, it's uh, it's interesting that the thing the vampire bit of vampire lore they throw out in this conveniently is the whole thing that when vampire that when Dracula dies his those he's bitten you know are, right, are magically right. you know because they, she's a bad girl so she must be punished I mean she's going to she's, she must die a tragic you know fate so it's not going to work for story wise if when they kill Dracula she's released from being a vampire you know but had we but, seen in any of these universal films had we seen the had we seen that before that's that's something I think that came afterwards isn't it that 
killing killing the master vampire frees the other slaves. Well, in the original Dracula, is Helen Chandler has she been bitten yet, or is she just mesmerized in that? Because she oh, at the my. end of, at the end of it, she is is I feel like she kind of yeah she kind of comes yeah. But she wasn't full fledged vampire either yet. I think he had bitten her. Oh, I'd have to go back and rewatch it yeah. again. I can't remember yeah. the details on that exactly. Yeah. Somebody out there is checking us as we speak. Yeah, you know? they are. And They're I'm hoping like, that they write in and and uh, give us the details. In a non, we hope you know, they will listen again. Finding how unprepared we are for this, yes, for this I, show. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Unprepared. I'm just feeling like I, I really studied hard and 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 I'm I'm not getting the, the essay teacher, questions. The, yeah, the teacher handed out the wrong, the different wrong it's like, essay. God damn it! Why didn't you? This, I didn't hear about this. Did, yeah. You never mentioned this in class. What the fuck? So. But I will, another thing that like, you've you've made the great case for this being a hard war is the other thing that too that so many cases they would have set up talking about poor Eagle and Anchors having nothing to do. Other films, other scriptwriters, you know, would have tried set up Evelyn Anchors as Frank's fallback through the whole film. They would Correct. have cut up something between her and him so that the audience is left at the end like, well, he's going to be better. Right. He will end up with he'll be okay. He'll end up with the blonde, and he'll be and he'll be much better, you yeah, know, than, yeah. the, than the wicked brunette. And, and, and we uh, in the and we in the yeah. audience in the twenty first century go and Evelyn, you know, Evelyn Anchors is a hotter chick anyway. Yeah. It's all right. He'll be he'll be fine. But here they go for the full-on tragic ending, which I thought yeah. I, I, I got to hand it to them. And that kind of goes with my whole overall feeling of this film is that uh, that they kind of at least try some things and goes for a tone, like you said, you know, that's, that's not, not common to most of the films, of the Universal Monster films. No, this, no, this, it this has a dark ending. downer ending. Yeah, it really does. Uh, in a way that um, is even more of a dark downer thing than, you know, con- concocting yet another end for a wolfman would be. Right, right, yeah, yeah. It doesn't have any hero and heroine embracing at the end like all is going to be well. Yeah, I don't think anybody's anybody's happy at the end of this sucker. No, no. Which, once again, makes me feel like it's a dry run for a film noir. So no, I, I think you made a great case for that. Well, I'm not the first to make that case mm-hmm. by far. I think mm-hmm. I'm probably 175,000th <laughs> on that one. It is still a joy to go through this and to realize just how much of this film feels like Part Southern Gothic, mm. part universal horror film, mm. part crime film, mm. part mm. femme fatale in in its in its chrysalis format, you know, mm. uh, or or kind of taken out of uh, its natural uh, its natural environment and placed within mm. uh, a vampire film. Yeah, it this movie does such strange things with the idea of vampirism and uh, the horror tropes that it that it plays around with yeah. that. I have done nothing but gain respect for this film Same here. Yeah. over the years. Mm-hmm. It's easy to see, and it's not just surface stuff. It's not just how beautiful it's photographed and how well it's directed and how mm-hmm. how it, it it allows you to follow an emotional story, mm-hmm. especially with Frank. Yeah, yeah. Where you're watching this man mm-hmm. deteriorate over the course of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, the same way you'd watch similar characters deteriorate over the, cor- over the course of crime movies over the mm-hmm. next 20-some-odd years. Where you're watching this man come to a to a terrible end, mm-hmm. uh, you know this horrible, <laughs> this horrible, destructive, just tragic ending. Mm-hmm. The joys of this are looking back on it and seeing how well all of the elements work. Uh, the things that maybe forgets, mm-hmm. maybe discards. It's hard mm-hmm. to know. I mean, mm-hmm. did we discard? Mm-hmm. Did they discard? The previous two movies completely, or was that not even a consideration? Were they just going, you know, were they were they working from the idea that, well, we're really making a sequel, we're, we're kind of making a sequel to a movie that that was, came out twelve years ago, mm. so you know we want to nod in that direction, but do we we really want to 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 make something that's fresh and new and really 
of the moment that we feel we're part of. So it becomes something that you look at and you wonder how much of this was uh, purposeful. And it, in the end analysis, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. All of these elements come together in a way that makes this a really unique entry in the Universal Horror Films of the 1940s. And I have to agree with a lot of people by saying I, I think it's absolutely one of the best. Mm-hmm. It feels yeah. like, not in the same way that Flesh and Fantasy did. Flesh and Fantasy yeah. felt like <clears throat> it's a film that is playing with horror tropes, that is playing with those fantastical elements, but is firmly pretty much both feet planted in the A-level talent and A-level aspirations of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. This movie feels like it has one foot in the horror movie excesses that it it knows it needs to be a part of, but also has got one foot kind of turned toward taking that step Mm -hmm. in a different direction. Mm -hmm. There are A elements to this film that elevate Mm -hmm. it above what it could have been. This is a better film than pretty much every other universal horror film in the 40s. And and I think that it's uh, what you talked about. I think setting it in the putting it where it is in America, I think also because like you're talking about with its eye towards something different of uh, heading in the direction of film noir or some kind of different is by taking it out of the that universal set of the yeah. you know with with we have the one gypsy character but other than that we're not we don't have gypsy peasants everywhere we don't have the European look you know the castles and and you know and, mm-hmm. and misty swampy gra- misty graveyards you know it's it's like so I think taking we, we, it out of we, those things we even we have kinda, a Hungarian count that sounds like he's from America says, right 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 so I think again maybe a little a bit of kind of distancing ourselves from that universal world universal land as we call it there now the. Standout moment, of course, will always remain the amazing image of Dracula's casket surfacing yeah. in the misty bog mm-hmm. with uh, Dracula then materializing in vapor above it mm-hmm. and then floating the coffin over to land. That is the sequence in the movie we've already talked about. Yeah, it's great. That makes this entire... If the rest of the movie sucked... Yeah, it's true. You would, that that scene would make it worthwhile. Yeah. would mean that you would have to see this film yeah. if you were a horror movie fan, or even if you were just a, a, a fan of of cinema from the period. Mm-hmm. It's an astonishing thing. We've talked about how great the, the, the special effects are in it. Um, some of the detriments... There is no romantic spark yeah. in evidence in this film at all. Yeah. These don't feel like characters who are... Uh, in love with each other, right? Uh, and between Kay and and Alucard, mm-hmm. that's probably intentional. Mm-hmm. That that's yeah. that's their both of the both of these characters are using the other, right? And right. they think each of them mm-hmm. probably think they have the upper hand. Mm-hmm. Of course, the European aristocrat mm-hmm. um, is is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> he does not he does not have the upper hand. Right. He seems completely oblivious to what is being planned mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. In other words, that's something I don't know that is uh, in, was intentionally played that way, but it works very effectively once you know mm. what's be, what's happening in the plot mm. of the story. Yeah, I would point out that this is such an effective film that has flown under the radar for so long that its slow creeping increase in uh, fan opinion, mm-hmm. its its elevation over time, mm-hmm. is almost something that's. Not talked about enough. Yeah. There's, there's, uh, the film does get brought up occasionally, mm-hmm. but it's not talked about in the same mm-hmm. way that more fun movies mm-hmm. from the period are talked about. 
I think I've seen more discussion of the house films than yeah. I have of this movie. Right. Uh, this one has always seemed like the one of the uh, the odd the odd boys out. You know, mm-hmm. one of the yeah. things that's hanging off to the side. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. we forgot about that. Let's talk about that one too. Mm-hmm. This one is rarely tackled the way we've kind of tackled it tonight mm-hmm. because the idea it, it seems to be of the genre without uh, without being fully. Mm-hmm embracing of the genre. In other words, it feels as if this movie has more on its mind and therefore maybe doesn't satisfy that that juicy B-movie monster itch mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I can see that. Yeah, yeah. This is not Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Yeah, and had, had I seen this film as a kid uh, uh, at the same time that I was right. seeing those, I might have, you know, I probably would have sat down and watched it every time it was on just because it was a monster movie and it was, you right. know, but I doubt that I would have. But you'd have gotten pretty bored during the middle section. <laughs> I would not have, yeah, and I would not have loved it in the way that I loved Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman right. and House of Frankenstein. Uh, now I, I feel like the film is, 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 is a more adult film than most of the films from the, the Universal Monster movies from the 40s, and I definitely agree that it belongs definitely at the top of the list uh, to, in, the upper thir- in the upper few oh, of the yeah. films. If I were to rank them, you know, this is this one of the five best. Of yeah, this is one of the five best. Yeah, I think so, like, too. This is an impressive, yeah. impressive, yeah. impressive film. And it doesn't feel like a Saturday morning kids matinee film. No, it does not. I think there's a there's a great quote this this paragraph uh, I I often use the um, the uh, 40s Universal Monsters book uh, called a Critical Commentary I often use it to to uh, start start to kind of wrap my thoughts around certain ideas and I just want to quote a section from the the chapter on Son of Dracula this chapter is written by uh, John T Soyster who's written a number of chapters on these films and I think that he sums this up well after spending several pages. Uh, making me think that he does not like this film. Then he mm. spends the last two or three pages <laughs> of his essay on this particular film talking about how awesome it is. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I've still got my ears on my head, but it does feel like they just got ripped off as we the winds shifted. Mm. But um, this is very interesting. This is how he ends his chapter on Son of Dracula. He says, With the miscasting of the son of the man of a thousand faces as the Ertzat son of the man who turned out to be himself... Son of Dracula is one of the best of the Universal's 40 genre offerings. Penalizing a movie for not being what it might have been had another played the lead is a useless passion. The film we have is the better it is the film we have and it's a damned good one. Methinks it would have been even better had it eliminated J. Edward Bromberg's haughty mm. Professor Laszlo. Uh, a Coke bottle, glasses-wearing Von Helsing clone, Laszlo is really unnecessary at this point, especially in a picture that delights in turning the same old inside out. Couldn't the scenarist have left the dramatic unfolding to the vampires vamp- and had Laszlo actually reveal something we might have wondered about? Mm-hmm. Why? Uh, like, 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 you know, here's a good question and something mm-hmm. that neither of us brought up. Uh-huh. Why didn't Kay's dad, the old colonel, mosey on back into the parlor looking for blood the night after he was bitten? Ah, very, yeah, yeah, yeah good See? point. No, we did not think of that. There you go. Yeah. What would have also been interesting to hear about would be the definitive reason as to why vampires react to, the, re- react to a cross. But no. Mm-hmm. Well, if you think about it, we don't ever get Dracula being warded off with a cross in this. The only allusion to that is that you know that that medicine being drawn in a in a in a cross or a plus sign across those two wounds on the boy's neck? What is it that Laszlo 
Does Laszlo not pull out a well? Dracula gets well, but when he's a bat and he's he tries to he's he's gonna kill he's gonna finish out Frank. The shadow of the the moon hits the cross. Remember the light? Oh wait, the, that's right. You're right. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. I was wrong there. Um, by 1943, after anyone interested oh, in... Oh, wait, the bat was rubber. Maybe only rubber bats are... Only rubber bats are affected by that. That would be <laughs> By 1943, after anyone interested in the Dracula mythos would have been... Uh, definitely... Would have definitely seen both the original film and the subsequent tale of the Countess. This know-it-all from elsewhere is a super... <laughs> is a weight that drags the picture's pace to a crawl whenever he's on screen. Although Cheney's effort is apparent and Louise Albritton's heroine is the genre's most Machiavellian ever. Yes, for sure. Son of Dracula remains a provocative and entertaining foray into the always popular world of the undead. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to agree with him and at the same time, I can understand the back and forth that you have when you when you talk about this film. We've been going through mm-hmm. it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the The joy of this, though, is that my opinion of this, the old every time, there, there there are films that, over time as I watch and rewatch them over you know at this point decades, uh, my rating of them on the one to ten scale, creeps up. Mm-hmm. A lot of movies stay in the same range. Mm-hmm. They stay they stay in the same spot mm-hmm. on the on the one to ten scale for me. But there are films that creep up. This film has crept up from I think my initial impression mm-hmm. of it being like, eh, a six. Mm. And nowadays, for me, it's a full-on 8 out of 10. That's exactly what I gave it. Oh, and really? I would have said the same thing. I would have said the same thing if I had ranked, if I had, you know, had been ranking films at the time that in my head, at the right. time I saw it, I probably would have thought about the same thing, about a 6, just slightly above average. And an 8 is what I went with, too, after this final, you know, watch through and, and, and appreciation and really thinking about the film a lot. You know, it's, it's a, a, I, think it, I think it is an 8. I think it's, it's, it's very well done. Just some amazing images and ideas in there, and and I do like you. I love the way the film looks. I, you know, regardless of whether a monster has any reason to be in a swamp or not, I love <laughs> I love Universal's. I love the way their swamp looks. I love the way they're lighting and the way I could just watch endless scenes of people running through this beautiful Universal. You know what you're reminding me of? Is I just I for the past couple of months, I've been concocting this mm-hmm. impossible list in my head of things that I would love to see improved prints of mm-hmm. on, on Blu-ray, some kind mm-hmm. of su- super special, wonderful edition of these obscure films. And, of course, a lot of that revolves around my desire for, for more sword and sandal films from mm-hmm. the 60s and things like right. that. And maybe right. the, I'd love to see the Eurospy movie start to get mm-hmm. that kind of attention. But one that stands out for me, mm-hmm. there are a couple of them, but one you just pegged in my mind is I want an incredible beautiful edition of Strangler of the Swamp. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Which is I just it's just one, one of, it's just one of those low budget yeah, gems. It is. Clocks in a little over an hour and just just works like a it charm. Is really it, it shouldn't it's it, it shouldn't work at all. Yeah. And yet Strangler of the Swamp. Man, I yeah. love that movie. I do too. Uh, yeah, you're right. I'd love to see that get a you know, get a really pristine treatment, you know. I would too. After it's been out in so many I guess PD versions or so many Well, PDs. I have I have the old DVD of it that I think that was yeah, I think an image release. I can't I think remember. So Nevertheless, um, we've got one piece of email that is actually talking about this particular movie specific that we got today on the day we record. And I want to talk about that in the first, but I want to do the critics corner first and then Uh, we'll we'll get to the email that we got earlier today. Um, The Hollywood Reporter, October 29th, 1943. In the shocker horror field, Son of Dracula is a top line entry. It's well-made. It's intelligent, dire- it's intelligent direction by Robert Siodmak, one of the more substantial con- contributions to the chiller-diller market. Cheney's Dracula is an outstanding job. 
Did you hear that? Mm, 1943? Yeah, wow. Critics yeah, wow, very nice. Accomplished without the gobs of makeup with which he is generally smeared. As a matter of fact, his performance takes on an almost romantic flair. Hmm. Interesting. Yes. The New York Times, November 6th, 1943. A.H. Uh, I know you were hoping for a man, but... Uh, uh, I know. No Bosley this no, time. No Bosley on the man, too bad. <sighs> Often as unintentionally funny as it is chilling... A pretty pallid offering. Hmm. Well, that's yeah, not very yeah. Nice. They didn't. They, they weren't. They weren't happy with it. Not a fan. New York Post, November sixth, nineteen forty-three. Uh, bylined Irene Thur, rating fair to good. The script is neatly turned out and is certainly guaranteed for goose pimples and we might add laughs. The Rialto's audience yesterday took it with good-natured audible shrieks and the usual grain of salt. <laughs> Interesting. Hmm. New York Daily News, November 6, 1943, Wanda Hale. Two stars. Mm -hmm. Unearthly hokum and spoofing. It's entirely up to you whether you can enter into the spirit of the thing or whether you're so practical as to think that the whole thing is crazy and that you're just plain nuts for watching it. (laughs) (laughs) And Harrison's reports from November 13, 1943, extremely weird, fantastic, and morbid, but because the theme has been done many times, it fails to attain the terrifying impact of the original. Hmm. Fair assessment hmm. if you're, you're you're viewing it in the 1943 yeah. and yeah. Dracula has really just once again gained mega yeah. prominence by yeah. having you know, by raking in dollars those yeah. double features with Frankenstein. So right, there we have okay. the uh, the reviews of mm-hmm. the time, yes. shall we say? Mm-hmm. And now let's get to. Uh, we have we have a number of pieces of, of email, but what we're going to do is we're going to uh, we're going to record those another time. We're going to put an episode out. As a matter of fact, I think probably the very next episode of the Bloody Pit that we put out will be another short uh, email episode that uh, Troy and I will record separately and put out after we put out this show. So this one doesn't get super long, and this is mm-hmm. just right. you know concentrated Son of Dracula. Right, right. So let's uh, let's go through this <laughs> this email I put out uh, that uh, anybody wanted to get in something real quick today before we recorded this show mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. our friend Matthew Kowalski oh, yeah. had some things to say mm-hmm. about this film. He says, Hope all is well, friends. I have no clue if you lads will get to this during the Son of Dracula episode, but big ups yourselves. Been waiting for this one since you two started this deep dive deep dive into the 1940s Universal stuff back in 2018. Let's take a pause. Yes, yes, that's and and yeah. Ooh, boy. <laughs> Troy. Yes. We've been doing this for five years. And we're up to 1943. 1943. <laughs> so we're not even through the fourth year yeah. of the decade of the 40s mm-hmm. after five years. We've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. we got to pick up the pace. Yeah, I was going to say, because on that average, that means probably looking at 10 to 12 years to be oh, finished God. with. Oh, <laughs> God. We can't. Now we, I, don't, I don't know if I want to look at you in, in 12 years. I, dude, I'm surprised you can give a shit about me after, what, 13? I mean, my God, I'm not I'm not a pretty man. That's, okay, uh, anyway, back to, what, uh, back to what Matthew had to say. Um, for my money, this is the best thing the company made during the entire decade. Legit. I truly, a truly extraordinary film that successfully blends elements of gothic horror, southern gothic, and film noir. Nearly everything works. Robert Siodemak's direction, his brother Kurt's script, and Hans Salter's soundtrack are all peak. The cast, in particular Louise Albritton, is also universally solid. 
I know Cheney's take on the Count, or his son, has been criticized, and I kind of get it, right? No way in hell can my man remotely pass as Central European, <laughs> Central Eastern European. Not even close. But his performance is notable in so much, in so much that he is the first physical Dracula. The man is imposing. Yep. Choke holding and chucking dudes through locked doors with one hand. He is kind of doing some of the stuff we associate with Christopher Lee, as, as we were talking about. Yeah. Christopher Lee's characterization of the role. The difference, Lee might be able to pass as Romanian. <laughs> Cheney, nah. <laughs> Brother man, cornbread as hell. <laughs> that's, that's true. Yes. Dracula, Nebraska settings. <laughs> anyway, can't wait to listen to this one. Hope all is well, my dudes. And Troy. Raiders are going to Raider, man. That is all I have to say about the Walker trade. I knew that there was going to be some See, sports. Oh, there'd have to be. I was going to say, I was I was just going to say, I was impressed that he managed to find time to write in between all the texting he and I have done back and forth. As, as we're recording this, folks, it's during, it's the beginning of NFL free agency. Era. So Matthew and I have constantly been sending back a what the fuck are they thinking text, you know. I do not know. I, even, even I don't, well, I don't pay attention to, yeah. to football anymore. If I'm going to pay attention to the NFL, yeah. it is going to be the Raiders. And I heard about this trade and then about who it's with and I'm going what the hell are they doing just you know it's like saying you know it's it's he made the statement Matthew made the statement on text every day is like I really honestly don't understand what the Raiders plan is and I said I said you have just quoted me for the last you've just quoted <laughs> me for yes they were longer for 40 almost since the mid 80s you know it's like not <laughs> so so yes it's a sad oh. sad time to be a Raiders fan uh, but uh, I think in the 90s I kind of knew what their plan was yeah. they just couldn't pull they just couldn't pull it out yeah they just kept pulling the wrong people yeah. in to try and do it you know yeah. So, yeah. so yeah that's a good point but, oh, but yes but, but thank uh, you Matthew for, for, for thank you I hope you, we hope you will enjoy our take on the show it's certainly been on the movie it's certainly been a fun one to talk about it well Troy uh, certainly found several things that might this movie might feature mm-hmm. in as a, in a list of firsts mm-hmm. but damn fine though <laughs> yeah yeah you're the historian Matthew you tell us you, <laughs> yeah 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 you're, <laughs> you know. you're, a, you're a college professor get on the stick go yeah. to the library man find out you cold shack this for us and find out what the hell the real deal is yeah <laughs> oh my god anyway Obviously, we're gonna to have to buy that damn script book. No, this. no, exactly. I've got this to is, now. This is gonna eat. It. This is gonna eat at me. <laughs> oh, good lord! Well, at any rate, folks, thank you very much mm-hmm. for listening in. If, like Matthew, you want to send in an email um, or a voicemail, you remember you can record your uh, your ravings and send them to us as well. The address is thebloodypit at gmail.com. We'll be glad to hear from you. And like I say, our next episode will be us going through uh, about four or five different emails that we received about the show mm-hmm. recently. Um, I might even dig up some of those fun Facebook posts where people talk, were talking about the uh, the Puffin stuff. No, yeah, they got a great response. Man, yeah. people really enjoyed the uh, Puffin stuff. Uh-huh. I, didn't, I, didn't, I did not expect that to blow up mm-hmm. the way that it did. Nevertheless... Thank you once again for listening to the show. We'd like to say that uh, we're looking forward to one of the lesser well-thought-of horror films from the Universal stuff in the 40s next time out. Our next film is The Mad Ghoul. All right. Now, I have a lot of affection for this film. It's one that I didn't come to once again until uh, the days of VHS because I... I, did, Did you ever see it on television? I don't remember ever seeing it on television. Okay. I think it, and I'm not seeing it that much overall. But um, it's been a while. Oh, really? but I recall, I recall getting a kick out of it, like enjoying yeah, it, you know. Yeah. But it's, but it's been a while. But it had to be VHS when I saw it, though. I it has some unexpected thrills. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. It's, it's a, it's another one that I'm going to be glad to be drawing attention to because mm. it, it, I feel that it is once again one that's not talked about enough. Mm. So 
everyone, thank you very much for listening to the show, for listening to us talk endlessly, mm. it seems, about Son of Dracula. Mm. And we hope that you enjoyed it. We hope that you have something to say to us about it. And we will talk to you again next time. My name is Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And bye now. You know, neither of us are Hungarian. No, we aren't. Though we look it. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you could, you could fool man. Yeah, I could. <laughs>